Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Rule the day the plant-based way with the new vegan mixed berry from Smoothie King. Powered by whole, non-GMO fruits, oat milk, and vegan protein, it's a dairy-free, plant-based smoothie you can feel great about. With 13 grams of protein and half your daily fiber, it's an easy way to get the essential nutrients your body craves. Skip the line and order online for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. Episode 1930 of the number one podcast and Apple podcast for job search. You are listening to No BS Job Search Advice Radio. I'm Jeff Altman, the Dave Game Hunter. I'm the host of this show as I have been since November of, get this one, 2010. Our 10th anniversary is coming up in November. Episode 2000 is coming up in November. I'm taking tomorrow off, folks. It's Labor Day. Can I take a day off, please? I don't take many. This is a approximately a 360 uh, episode per year show, and uh, every once in a while I sneak a day. Now today's interview is with a man named Tom Morris, who's an outplacement expert, who talks about how people read resumes. And I think that's worthwhile for you to hear. Hope you find it helpful and give it a great review wherever you listen to the show. And I'll be back on Tuesday with a fresh episode. And in the meantime, let's get going. This is a time where I like to spend a half hour or so with an expert about some element of job hunting because I believe the job search doesn't have to be so hard, difficult, painful, or take so long. It's just for most people, the skills needed to find a job are different than the skills needed to do it. And unfortunately, most of you forget about the skills needed to find a job. So we're going to take a half hour today and talk with Tom Morris about basically how people read resumes. Now, Tom is someone who founded the outplacement firm of Morris Associates to help people find work faster and make more effective employment transitions. Tom has, has also served as chairman of the board for the Emeritus Foundation to assist retired and semi-retired professionals to work with community-based organizations, and is the former co-chair of Job Connection, a job fair for people with disabilities. Hey, Tom, welcome to Job Search Radio. Great to have you on board. Yeah, pleasure to be with you. Thank you. You know, you and I are veterans in, in our fields, and we, Lord knows, have looked at so many resumes over the course of our careers. And you're in a business where part of what you do is write them for people. So when you're starting to construct a resume, where do you start? How do you get going with these things? Okay. Well, let me um, just put this in a slightly different perspective. We don't write resumes for people. We do outplacement for companies and organizations that are downsizing. We help people to write and improve their own or, and or improve their own resumes. Um, 
And we do that because we found that it, uh, one of the key functions of a resume is to help people to get mentally focused on where they're going. And that writing or rewriting process or bringing it up to date and making sure it's future directed is a key process that we help people engage in themselves so that they start thinking about this mentally and then they're also getting it down in writing. Now the key thing that we tell them is to keep in mind that the key to writing a good resume is to understand how people read them. And by and large, people don't read them. They you mean they them. don't read that resume when they decide to well, invite them in for the interview? Let me just, uh, when they decide to bring them into the interview is, is usually further down the road. But when they're first getting, okay, that resume, well, let me just ask you, Jeff. You go through a lot. Uh, how how do you look at a resume? About how you know, much people are often applying to jobs that I'm uh, promoting. They may have heard about that job through someone. They may have seen a posting I had on a, a website somewhere, including my own. And often what happens, they submit a resume to me, and most of them are nothing more than spam because they in no way, shape, or form fit what I'm looking for. So when I'm starting to look at resumes, or I'm thinking of a specific client that they self-selected as being appropriate, you know, having an appropriate job for them, and I'm looking for anything that might vaguely demonstrate a fit. If there is something there that indicates that they might fit, I'm happy to call them to follow up, and most of the time it goes right into in, into the trash basket. Mm-hmm. So it's really, again, a resume is a screening device, and by and large, it's a screening out device a lot more than it is a screening in device. For every resume screened in, dozens and maybe hundreds are screened out. Hundreds are screened out. As I said on my very first show, which was an interview with someone named Hal Klegman, uh, who uh, was a recruiter with a firm in Chicago named Roy Tolman and Associates, on, on that Monday morning that we were recording the show, I said I walked into my office and there were 207 resumes waiting in my inbox for me. Yeah. And of the 207, two vaguely looked like they fit what I was looking for. Okay. It's brutal. So two out of what 200 plus, it's not even a, it's less than a percent. Exactly right. You know. Uh, in fact, there was a study done by Ladders, uh, which is a job board for executives, uh, about a year or so ago on how professional recruiters look at resumes. And they were looking at, they wanted to look at two things. They put eye scanners on them, eye, eye tracking devices on 40 professional resumes or on uh, re, recruiters. And then they gave them, you know, a large pile, electronic pile of resumes that they had to go through. And they were looking for two things in the study. Number one, on average, how much time did the recruiter did recruiters spend with each resume? And number two, where did their eyes go? And what, what do you think is the average time that recruiters were spending on each resume going through large piles of them, which is what they do, by the way, virtually, as you know, almost every day they're going through you know, whether it's in front of them or it's electronically, but they're going through large batches of these things. I know the public statistic is 10 seconds. It's not the case with me. I'm down to five seconds, seven tops. 
It's 6.3 seconds, according to ladders. That was the average. And for some of those resumes, you and the other, all other re recruiters and human resource executives screening through them are not even spending six seconds, because a lot of times you'll look at a resume probably for just two or three seconds or less. And it won't be what you're looking for. You can tell very quickly you're not finding what you need. It's not laid out in a clear, easy way that you can follow it. It's not giving you the keywords that you're looking for. Uh, and, and where the eyes went, by the way, were number one to the summary or profile up at the top of the resume, at the beginning of the resume. And if they're looking at it online, that's, that's half of what they're looking at, you know. And if they don't see keywords, as you said, right there that they're looking for, they may not go any further with it and they go to the next resume. So that may only be one or two seconds. Uh, if they do I know yesterday I opened up a resume, and, and this was for a director, director of curriculum training for a university. Okay. Okay. And I opened up the resume. It's a cashier at Walmart. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And that's not critical of the person. I know they wanted to do yeah. that kind of work that yeah. they're not qualified for. But that was a second, second and a half to delete that one. And, and where the eyes go right after that summary, according to the – the survey that was done was to the chronology. Where, who did you work for? What were your titles? How long were you there? Next, who, who did you work for? What were your, you know, what was your chronology? And then usually at education, and they're just looking quickly to see what degree you have, and that's your 6.3 seconds. If they mm -hmm. like what they're seeing, if they get that far, then they may spend another 6.3 seconds on it. And at that point, it may go into the yes pile, and then they'll give you a call, and, and you'll be talking to them and interacting and that sort of thing. But most people that we work with have the mistaken assumption that people are sitting there just waiting for their resume, they have nothing else to do, and that they're actually going to read the whole thing. I mean, sometimes they'll say, gee, the key thing you told me you want to do is this, and I don't see that. I, I don't I say, yes, it is. Here it is at the, in the middle of the bottom of the second half of the second page. I, you know, if that's not right up front, the key things they want to do and that they're offering, uh, very often that's it. And I'll agree with you on that because, you know, as I've said to, uh, to, to listeners before, you have at most two page downs for a, a reader to find what it is that they're looking for. And that's so, at most. I know. At most, two page downs. So normally if I'm at the top of the second page, I may just do a quick scroll, but more often than not, I'm done at that point because once I'm at the second page, I'm on you know, years back of employment, and the, and the experience is, has become sufficiently old that many of my clients won't be interested in it anymore. Right. Right. So it's, it's real important that you – I'm talking to my audience here yeah. – it's real important that you, as uh, someone submitting a resume – Get that information out front as fast as possible because we're not going looking for it for, for very long. Mm -hmm. In fact, the other thing to keep in mind about how people read them, there are two ways that people read resumes. One is the quick scan. And by the way, the keywords that they're looking for is the same thing that a computer scanner is doing. If, and, and very often, if you're submitting your resume online, no person is looking at it or scanning it. A computer is scanning it. And what is it scanning for? The same keywords that the humans would be scanning for because the humans programmed the software to look for those keywords. Uh, and that's and often they're looking for, at least in the applicant tracking system, like I mentioned before, it needs to be in a certain place in the resume right. 
And in their case, there has to be a certain frequency of their of their use for the applicant tracking system to believe that you're sufficiently expert in it. Mm-hmm. So, so there's that extra layer uh, of evaluation that the software uses that sometimes humans won't need to use. Now, there is another way that resumes are read, and that's what we call the long read. If you do get through the quick scan and your resume goes into the yes pile, or if your resume follows you instead of preceding you, because we're very big on networking and people getting out and connecting with people and not just responding to job leads, okay, uh, or going only to recruiters, but using their network and people that they know. If your resume, if someone has met you and they're impressed by you and they're interested and then they get your resume, or if you have been referred by someone else that they respect, then your resume is more likely to get the long read where they will spend considerably more time reading the resume in more detail because they're not using it to make an initial judgment about you. They've already made that. They've met you. They're impressed. They like you. They want to know more or someone that they respect has referred them. They're interested. They're you know, they're at least going to take a few more seconds to look through the resume and see if there might be a reason to follow up with some conversation. Um, but the initial judgment isn't being made by the resume. They're now using the resume to get additional information about you after that initial judgment. But both are important. It's got to be able to take the quick scan, and it's got to be able to take the long read. And I want to come back to that in a moment just because – well, frankly, it's a good it's a good subject for us to go into. But I also want to make sure that my audience has an opportunity to hear my job search insider tip for the show, which is really about preparation. You see, when I think about preparation, what most job hunters do, it's very superficial. Now, let's look at some successful people that we all know: athletes, actors, actresses people who give speeches, if they arrived on the stage, an actor or an actress, or an athlete stepped out on the field with as little preparation as most job hunters do for an interview, they'd be off the field in a moment. They'd be thrown off the set very quickly. Why? Because they're really unprepared. Folks, you need to do your homework before your interviews. You need to give yourself time to rehearse review, practice, listen to your tone of voice as you talk, record it, listen to it. Yes, you do sound that way, folks. And from there, be ready for all those predictable questions that employers ask, because they all do. In your career, folks, you've been on enough interviews where you see the patterns that people ask. So get yourself ready for interviews. There's enough material on the web, on my website, thebiggamehunter.us, for you to go practice. So take the time to rehearse, learn what you need to, so you just don't present yourself as an amateur. Now let's come back to Tom and continue our conversation. So we're talking about the long read, the one where they actually go into more detail. How many more seconds do you think they spend doing that long read? I'm going to just guess that it's another six seconds to a minute. And I'll tell you, if you've done this a lot with resumes, 6.3 seconds is a lot of time. You can get a lot of information out of a resume in 6.3 seconds if you know what you're looking for. 
So 12, 15 seconds for a professional or 30 seconds, somebody who's really focused and know what they're looking for and is making those connections um, can be a long time, can get you in the yes pile, and if they like what they're re the rest of what they're reading or they're finding the other things, that probably winds up with either an interview or a phone screen or some kind of more positive reaction. But and one of the things I know I look for, and, and my eye just goes to this pretty quickly, I know where the client is located, I see a phone number, and there's so many resumes I get now that don't include addresses. So I'm left with a phone number to work with. Yeah. So I'll use an example from the New York area. I know all the area codes for phone numbers in the New York area, and let's say I get a 415 phone number on the resume. This suggests to me that you're from out of the area. If my client is unwilling to pay relocation, you've disadvantaged yourself in the search. But that may be a mobile number, and you need to make sure that minimally you have your town, state, and zip code there. Uh, and the reason for that is twofold. Number one is make sure that I know that you're local and that this is a, a mobile number that's traveled with you. And number two is all firms are parsing resumes for future contact. And that's not just simply people like me. That's corporations as well. They will have government reporting responsibilities. They want to get back in touch with you in the future. So parsing that resume is real important because they know where you are. And minimally, the zip code is going to be the factor that's going to tip, off, tip them off as to where you are. Does that make sense? Is that something that would make sense? A lot of people are concerned with, you know, safety and confidentiality and putting full personal contact information on paper that may be distributed beyond where they know about. But uh, uh, I, I think in some way, especially if it's a geographic-sensitive job, if you've got a recruiter who is maybe looking for all over the country, then it's going to be more important. And, again, most of the people that we're working with are in the mid-Atlantic region, and uh, you look down the chronology and you're going to see that they're in the local area, you know, Maryland, Virginia, West Virginia, D.C. That's where we are. That's where we operate. That's where we do our outplacement from. But I agree with you. Yeah, people are looking for key. The key things that people are looking for, by the way, are different in almost every case. It's not like this. this is what everyone's looking for. Uh, but tying it into the job description is critically important. Um, and it's, it, we recommend basically that also a resume has two basic parts to it, okay? It's got what we call a future-directed summary up top, a summary or a profile, and we will spend, if need be, quite a bit of time working with our clients on helping them to, cons to, to decide what the key skills are that they have. We may do formal career assessment with them if, if need be, but working really hard to have the key skills, abilities, and things that they offer that they want to be doing in the future. That's why we call that a future-directed section. It shouldn't just be a summary of your past, especially if you want to do something a little bit different, and a lot of our clients do. That's what you should be directing that part of the resume to. The rest of the resume that chronology, that, that professional experience is a, a selected accomplishments from your past that support those things that are in your future. And it's not Interesting. So for you who are helping people in transition 
who may not want to stay within their industry uh, or their niche area. You're recommending that they do something future-oriented that puts out what it is they want to be doing. Is there a way that you might, you know, from your experience, talk about an example of, of one um, you know, providing a little context? I'll, I'll, I'll t yes, I'll give you a, an example. And this is a kind of random, but let's say somebody is a director of research somewhere, and they've been doing that for several years, and they've got 100 people doing research under them, okay, a vice president of research. And... Uh, when we meet them, one of the first questions that we're going to ask somebody is, do they know what they want to do going forward? Now, they may say, hey, I like managing large groups of people, okay, running big projects. I'm good at it. I'm a good manager. I'm a good leader. I'm looking for something along those lines. We're going to help them put together what we call a straight line future-directed summary up top because they want to be using the same kinds of skills as managers and leaders that they have been using to go forward. Now, they may conversely come in, and even as at the executive level, we've had this happen a lot at executive levels. They'll say, well, let me tell you what I don't want to do. I don't want to babysit anymore. I don't want to run. I don't need to run a large operation or a lot of people. I got into the research field because I like doing research. I don't do research anymore. All I do is administrivia on everybody else's problems. Uh, Everybody else is doing the research. I want to do more research. I have enough money. I can take a lower salary. That's, you know, but I want work that's meaningful, but I want to be getting on to, online. I want to be drafting things. I want to be working with the experts in the field, putting presentations together on it. We're in that case, because that's what they did earlier in their career. Here we're taking that. Here we're also taking a, another element I'm throwing in, Jeff, which is what if it's something that you really haven't done for a long time? You feature those key things about research, analysis, writing, presentations, working with the experts, checking facts. You load that into that future-directed profile, okay? Seek opportunity to use skills in these areas. And you're presenting your research skills more. Then we, it, we, what we might do in a case like that is have a briefer chronology, especially we'd put the chronology in. People want to know where you worked and what you did. Um, and may even have a sentence up in that profile saying, having you know worked at all levels in, in research and research management, seek opportunity where I can do hands-on research in these areas in particular using these skills. And we might abbreviate a lot of the detail about what they did as managers. We would still put the chronology in where they worked, what their titles were, because it may be the earlier part of their career where they did more of those things. So the same person, we could have a significantly different uh, profile going forward depending on where they want to go forward and what they want to do. Having said that, I want to also make one other big point. Never lie or mislead people on your resume. You know, I'm not suggesting that in any way. It should always be truthful, but if you had a statement along the lines that I suggested, having worked at many levels in research and research management, seek opportunity to do hands-on research again, especially in these areas using these skills, that's a true statement, and that's what you want to be doing. And it also answers the immediate question that somebody's going to have who's scanning their resume saying, well, this guy was a, you know, a director of research. Why does he want to do hands-on research? He's already explained it there in the beginning, but it's got to be done professionally. It's got to be explained professionally and well. Uh, 
and, and we're seeing that kind of situation a lot more, especially with some of the older workers who, frankly, older and younger workers, everybody wants more flexibility, we're finding, in their life uh, and in their work situations if they can get them. And uh, so they may be willing to work fewer hours or differently. I'm not suggesting you have to do that if you don't want to. But it's of course a way not. of making the, 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 the career. The second situation is what we call a career change. Okay, and a career change we define as you're either moving from one industry or sector to another or from one function to another. And thus you use that sort of uh, future-oriented uh, summary at the beginning. And I also heard you say, I don't want it to go by, that you start to minimize some of the irrelevant employment history that's inconsistent with that future-oriented the, the summary. Details on it. I would list it, what it was, because people yes. want to know what it was. You know, you're being honest. You're letting them know. But, uh, but I'm not going to give you a whole page on the most recent one or two management positions they've had and all the leadership things they did. However, we might select from that you know, a couple of the things that are more hands-on research-oriented, you know. Uh, so we're going to be very selective, but it uh, – and we find this career change is a very, very common thing to happen. In fact, something we point out to our clients is we do a lot of work with the federal government and some of the agencies and people leaving. And for many of them, for most of them, they're going to be making some career change because they're going to be leaving the government sector and going into the private sector, either for-profit or not-for-profit, maybe government at some other level or something like that, but it's likely to be a change. And it seems like, oh, my God, how can I do this? You know, I haven't done it before. I point out to them, before you got in to the government agency that you're in, that you've been in now for whatever, 20, 25, 30 years, you didn't know how to do that either. You learned it. You know, so we've already done, people have already, in almost every case, had a career situation where they got into something that they were prepared to do, but where they might have to learn some more and maybe get some training in, but they did it and they were able to be successful at it, and now they want to go forward and they want to make that same kind of change again, but it's not a whole new dramatic thing they've never done before. If they go back and think about the early part of their career, they've probably done it a couple of times. Exactly right. And by doing that, uh, the person is able to focus in on the transferable skills that relate to the new role they want to perform and put them, those out in front of the, of the reader so that in this way they understand what's being looked for. Great point. And, Tom, you know, I know you and I could go on for a long time uh, on this show, but we do have our time limits. So I'm wondering, is there a job, one more tip that you have yeah. for people? In, in terms of looking for employment? Hey, yes, please. Um, to be looking for, no, actually, let's think in terms of uh, one more thing that you want to share about uh, how resumes are read. Is there anything else you want to add in? Well, I would say two things. You're probably going to have a lot of nouns. Remember I said there's two parts to the resume up top. You've got the future-directed part. You're going to have a lot of nouns there that talk about skills and functional areas that you've worked in, okay? It's going to be noun-heavy if it's written well. The rest of your resume where you're giving selected examples of things you've done that match up with those things you have in your summary, 
you should be beginning all of those sentences in the lower part of your resume with active verbs. And those verbs should tie back to the key nouns that are up in the summary. So if you want to manage, okay, that's a, that's a, uh, that's a noun, using it that way, you're going to have entries talking about manage this, that, or the next thing. And the other thing that we really try to stress a lot to have in the body copy is to quantify accomplishments or the scope of things you worked on. How many people were on the team? How many customers were in the database that you put together? If you saved money or you significantly reduced costs, don't say you significantly reduced costs. Tell me how much or at least give me an estimate of it. And you might use a percentage of something or a dollar amount, but we have found that in terms of the quick scan, active verbs, this is true for any writing, by the way. I'm a communications major is my background. So any kind of writing you're doing, the emphasis is on active verbs to have the reader's attention. It's particularly true in resumes. But those quantifications, those numbers, using dollar signs and percent signs with numbers for things that they've achieved uh, also catch the eye very quickly and a lot. And if you want to see an example of that, just take your resume and turn it upside down. If you have numbers in the copy, you will, your eye will be able to pick them out. You may not know the context that they're in, but the eye will see the numbers with the percent sign or the dollar sign, uh, even upside down. It's, and, and, and it makes an impact if those accomplishments are good. Plus, it's also an, a factual justification that you not only know how to sell, but and some people will, for example, in a salesperson's you know, resume, they'll tell you all about the process that they go through, but never tell you how much they actually sold. You know, Jeff, if you're looking for somebody uh, sell, It makes me crazy. How much? Absolutely makes yeah. me crazy. You know, I remember a... Something, you know, a total of X million or something. You know, more I, than I remember I got a resume from a salesman. He was a retail sales guy at a, uh, at a phone store, you know, a cellular store. Yeah. And everything he told me about what he did there, it was opening and closing the store. It's that he had the keys and he made deposits. There was not a single bit of it. And I wasn't even doing a search. I was just fascinated uh, with his spammed resume that here's a guy who says he's a salesman and there was nothing there about sales. Incredible. And, and be, before I let you go, I've got folks. I've got a, a new feature on the show that I think we're going to have fun with. So let's say, Tom, a new recession was about to begin, uh, and all the headlines were doom and gloom, and you got a call from an old outpa uh, outplacement uh, client of yours uh, who is concerned about his job and is looking for advice. What sort of advice would you give him? or her um, to help them get going in, in their efforts? The first thing I do in a situation like that, I am a career coach professionally, is I do a, a quick what I call a needs assessment. Do they have a resume, yes or no? What do they think about it? Have they gotten any reactions to it? What steps have they taken in terms of their search? Have they made any contacts? Do they have any interviews or leads lined up? Leads are things that they're interested in. They don't have an interview for, but they're interested in and they're pursuing. I want to find out what they've done and where they are in the process before I give them any advice. And often I will find with somebody, they may be at the very beginning, the resume is old, they haven't even looked at it, they don't know what they're going to do. In other cases, they've made contacts, they've got three, four interviews lined up, they may even have a hard or soft job offer. 
in the wings. The advice that I'm going to give them, obviously, is going to be unique to each person, and it's going to fit their particular situation and need. Perfect. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate you making time today. Hey, how can people... How can people find more information uh, about you or your outplacement services or your book? Uh, uh, where can they find out more? Yes, if they go to our website, which is www.morrisdc.com, and they go to the publications link on the uh, home page, there is information about my book, Career Mechanics, uh, Solution to Common Employment uh, Problems and Situations. Um, and there's also on that same page, they can hit a link to uh, prior issues of our newsletter. And there's a lot of interesting articles in there, um, a, kind of a recent one that's one of my favorite, we've gotten a lot of favorable response on, is how to read and analyze an ad to customize a cover letter. And uh, But there's a lot of other good free information there on the publications page that they're free to go through and they can get information. Again, as, as you and I discussed earlier, we don't work with individuals who come to us as individuals. We work with corporations and organizations uh, that are downsizing. We work with their employees. Uh, but we do have information available to the general public on our publications page on our website. And thanks for asking. That's today's show. I hope you found it helpful. And if you did, here are a few more ways to get information and advice from me. First of all, visit my website, which is TheBigGameHunter.us. Go to the blog. There's a lot there to help you with your job search, hiring more effectively, managing and leading, and workplace-related issues. In addition, if you're interested in my coaching you, there's a button there that says Schedule. Schedule time for a free discovery call or schedule yourself in for coaching. Obviously, I'm going to charge for that, but I can help you with interview preparation, leadership coaching, salary negotiation advice, making a good decision between different offers, anything related to improving yourself in the workplace, I can coach you about. If you have questions for me, you can schedule 15 minutes with me at thebiggamehunter.us forward slash live or you know, a less expensive way is at TheBigGameHunter.us forward slash video answers, where you leave a message for me and I'll respond with a three to five minute video. Connect with me on LinkedIn at LinkedIn.com forward slash IN forward slash TheBigGameHunter. I can assure you, your network will expand a lot by connecting with me. And finally, watch me on TV. Download the Job Search TV app for Fire TV, Fire Stick, Apple TV, Roku, like 90 different manufacturers. I'll be back tomorrow with more. And in the meantime, I hope you have a terrific day. Be great! Con el nuevo iPhone SE por menos de 100 dólares en metro, conquistas todo. El iPhone más accesible en la marca número uno en prepago. Estudia online o conéctate por FaceTime. Hola, ma. El iPhone SE lo tiene todo. Cámbiate a metro y obtén el iPhone SE por $99.99 al canjear el reembolso tras seis meses de servicio con autopago. Metro by T-Mobile. Conquista tu día.
Límite 1 por cuenta hogar al cambiarse y validar ID. No válido para números activos de la red de T-Mobile o en metro los últimos 90 días. Aplican restricciones. Visita una tienda para detalles.